Hey everybody, Francesca here reminding you that I will be in Sacramento at the SAC Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with none other than Matt Lieb. That's right, we are co-headlining. It'll be super fun. It is St. Patrick's Day, so I guess we're all drinking, maybe? Anyway, get your tickets. There should be a link in this description, and I hope to see you there. This is like capitalist profit accumulation they're yep. just shrewd business people they know it's all garbage and they're selling snake oil because there's a market for snake oil and they don't care and in the same way that like they're you know spreading nonsense about vaccines but they all got vaccinated i'm sure they're all vegetarians who enjoy a drag brunch from time to time <laughs> yes. uh, you know what i mean <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Bituation Room podcast live stream. Welcome to the show show, foot show. So happy to have you here, excited uh, for your presence, physical and auditory as well. Um, we have such a good show. Health communism, y'all. What you know about health communism? Oh, you think you know health? Oh, you think you know communism? Put them together, and what do you got? I'm sorry, I'm a little loopy, but <laughs> Beatrice Adler Bolton, a author of Health Communism, is going to be on the show. Super happy to have her with us, as well as Mr. Nato Green is back. Um, so get excited! Oh no, um, no, nothing. Sorry, ignore me. Am I live? What? Who's talking? Um. We're going to get into the Fox Files. That's right. Um, a less exciting FF. And then Nikki Haley is going to girl boss her way into the Republican primary. Um, I'm not mad. But I would like her to have her things together a little bit more. Um, so we're going to look at that and that campaign. And uh, finally, F. Mary Kill. I am censoring myself because the YouTube algorithm will smile upon me if I hold my tongue for the first three minutes of this video. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I've been told. I don't know, but I've been told YouTube algorithms mighty bold. Um, so we're going to be talking <laughs> F. Mary Kill, uh, Senate Democratic candidates, California candidates for the senate democratic primary want a certain amalgamation guys i got five hours of sleep last night please maybe four truly um but we're gonna talk about it who do you who do you bed who do you wed and who do you murder like figuratively obviously we don't you know there's no political violence on the show but like figure like just imagine adam schiff barbara lee or Katie Porter. I know. You bet them all. Hottest orgy ever. I want to know, what do we think? NATO Green, of course, will be weighing in on that. And in the meantime, you guys, hey, like this stream. Stop what you're doing right now. Like the stream. Share it. Let the people know what you watch and what you listen to. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts because that helps people discover this show. Truly, truly, truly helps. Again, a small little labor of love from yours truly and a miniature but mighty team relying on you and all of your support. Um, Debbie Does Downers, that's a great name, writes... Uh, as a review, Francesca is the best guy. 
an incredible rhyme, says, this show is like love it or leave it, but without all the cringe lib spin. And that, my friends, is the nicest thing that anyone's ever said to me. Um, and if you didn't know, there is always more show to this show that's for the patrons, the Frantifa. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room is where you go. And today, I am going to do a little solo sesh talking about a successful BDS campaign in Barcelona. That is right. The mayor of Barcelona, España, ha declarado um, that they're boycotting Israel because of its treatment of Palestinians and its lack of adherence to international law. Fascinating. We're going to get into it um, a little bit later. And I wanted to make an announcement. I've been teasing this for a while. You guys know, you patrons, you support this show. You make it happen. And to thank you and to sweeten said deal and to make sure that what was the Twitchuation Room, the sort of like little evil kid sister to the Bituation Room that I used to do on the TYT Twitch network, uh, that that doesn't get lost because it was it's a silly hour and change uh, with me. And um, there's a lot of weird stories. We do a lot of tech stories. Um, I will talk for a long time about Latin American politics. Um, we do much more chat uh, interaction. And I would say probably three or four times as many bad accents on that show. I'm going to be bringing back that stream, but for the Frantifa. That's right. I'm going to be streaming, I believe, every Friday at 1 p.m. on Twitch and on YouTube. It'll be live for anyone who wants to watch. But if you want to watch it back and if you want an audio version of that stream, you got to become a patron. So is this a reason to become a patron of the fucking fantastic podcast? Yes, it is. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room. I will be starting that in, I believe, the second week of March. Heads up. I'm super excited to bring uh, that stream back. The mm, It's just, it's fun. It's a good time. So hopefully you can make it live. If you can't make it live, you listen back and you support the show. And with that, guys, everyone... Strap on your bitch caps because they're, God, what didn't happen this fucking week? Uh, this is, what are you bitching about? Um, and to just give them, give me a little, you know, I need some support in this segment. I want to bring in comedian, labor organizer, father, Nato Green. Nato, how are you? Hello. Oh, hi. Uh I was trying to have a dramatic entry. <laughs> Very I was exciting. trying to be like, oh, what? Is my camera on? I'm just over here looking at... The fridge. It was over there. The I was looking at... Are those my, books? It's my wife's bookshelf. Oh, nice. My wife. My wife's books. Um, Nato, welcome. I'm bitching about something very silly and stupid today. Uh, well, I was going to bitch about the fact that there was a rally in D.C. called Rage Against the War Machine, which is already cringe um, in that it's a takeoff of Rage Against the Machine. But like Tom Morello wasn't involved or anything like that. Uh, and instead it was Jimmy Dore, Tulsi Gabbard and other like basically Red Brown Alliance bullshitters and some dude with a sign that was like, Elon is great.com and other weirdos. And it was just like, 
50 randos being like, stop the war machine, Tulsi, even though Tulsi's like, we need to kill the Muslims harder. Um, and it makes me, as someone who was radicalized and who was involved in the anti-war movement in the early 2000s, feel very sad, NATO, because we have lost the thread and the movement because wars are now, I think, way more complicated. <laughs> like they're more, they're more just like, ooh, ooh, how do we feel about proxy wars? I guess we're against them, but but like we don't want innocent people to die. Oh, this is a hard one. Anyway, and uh, there's a lot of disinformation. So I'm just bitching about the fact that like that's what's become of the anti-war movement. I don't know. I mean, the do you do you think it's like when you say the anti-war movement, you were talking about the anti-Iraq war. Yeah, Iraq, Afghanistan, the anti-war on terror right. movement. Okay, but but harken back if you will yes to the confusion mm -hmm. in the late 90s of that i would have felt like there was a at one point there was you know the u.s under bill clinton there was like a humanitarian intervention in kosovo yeah where like very difficult you know, to know <laughs> it was like you know uh no war in kosovo but also milosevic is bad and like people on the left had to come up with these incredibly convoluted theories about like you know uh like oil pipelines that no one knew about and didn't ex you know it's just like so so and they're muslims but they're white it was all very confusing right right uh, right <laughs> so on why we were against that war right yeah we, you know we just knew if there if we were against it so uh, I had to uh, just, I mostly learned about that war through like, you know, dry ass Chomsky um, talks. And I was like, yeah, that was a bad war. That did make things ultimately worse, although temporarily potentially better. But, but in the long term, there was like more backlash from Milosevic. And I remember that. And like, but yeah, yeah very calm. Not just not easy to fit on a sign. And I just feel like if our right. wars could be just more like warry, um, that would help us be more stoppy to the worry yeah i mean it, it, it like it certainly makes me resentful of the 60s generation where it was like anti the vietnam war and um i'm not saying that the Viet Cong were beyond reproach but it was easier to be sympathetic to them than yeah like isis right exactly because it was like their actual sovereign territory uh, right. Not trying to create a new thing, not terrorizing people, trying to get them to join. What else? Jane Fonda crushed it in that moment. We could go on. Totally. Yeah. Um, the the dumb thing I'm bitching about though is that uh, my autocorrect will not learn that I don't actually ever want to say the word ducked or ducking. Look, I don't know how much. The iOS believes that I am playing a game with children of Duck Duck Goose, but I don't. I'm not ducking, and I, and I'm not ducked. You, you know, make, you know what I am, Siri. You know what I am. Do you ever make duck confit? <laughs> I mean, is that is that like an orgy, like a fuck confit? That's because that's not. Yeah. It sounds hot. That's like a that, that's like good. That's when you have sex in a vat of oil with juniper berries. <laughs> <laughs> uh i hate autocorrect uh still somehow still i still haven't figured it out you know what are you bitching about today um so 
so someone told me this hack about the ducking thing, uh, and I haven't tried it yet. But apparently, the solution is if you enter a, a like a fake phone number into your contacts mm-hmm. for fucking fuck. Mm. When you type fuck, it'll iOS will think you're talking about that person. Yeah, it'll, but it'll capitalize it. Right. Um, this is like how Trump tweets. Like every single person in his phone, every single word in his phone is just a capitalized like proper noun in his context. That's why everything is right. the nation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm bitching about is cooperative overlapping. Okay. What um, is that? Is that like health communism? No, it's you know how you know about Jews, Francesca. Oh boy, do I. Um, you know how we all talk at the same time? Yes. So, I mean, last night I had dinner with, with some friends who, a Jewish family visiting from Brooklyn, who I lived with at, when I was writing it on the television show in New York. Mm-hmm. And so, very comfortable. And everybody talked at the same time. I was very, there was people were talking over each other. There were like three or four conversation threads happening simultaneously. It was very comfortable to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and it's a it's a cultural characteristic in uh, that some communities have, and the term for it is cooperative overlapping. When interruption is not seen as antagonistic, or an assertion of dominance, yes, but it's uh, it's a it's a way of conveying interest and attention, yes, uh, oh, and engagement. It's so hard. It's so antithetical to like wasp culture and kind of like mental health culture where if you like step on someone they're like you know and i'm like i right. sorry i didn't mean to trigger your shit yeah, yeah. trigger warning i'm a jew um, <laughs> yeah. trigger I'm, warning i'm, I'm not Italian. gonna stop talking i'm gonna yeah. I'm, I'm, there's gonna be a lot of talking there's gonna be a lot of talking um, so uh right and so but for i mean and additionally for me as a so this is what i'm bitching about is my dilemma mm-hmm. is for me as a on the one hand, a Jew who is culturally inclined towards cooperative overlapping, and on the other hand, a uh, a white dude who is trying to like be mindful of my power and privilege in the world. Um, you know, I don't want to like I'm I'm aware that interrupting people is a you know can be experienced as something that's dismissive. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like some people, you know. When men interrupt women, there's a like there's a patriarchal power dynamic that's at play. I don't give a shit when people interrupt me. I'm like I'm a white dude. Like I'll remember my train of thought. Don't worry about it, motherfucker. If it's important to me, I'm gonna get to it. You're so fun to interrupt. By the way, I just wanted to say like because you will like stop and you'll like incorporate the information and then and I, like NATO and I talking in private is just like my. Like him talking, and then I just and then he just keeps going. It's just very fun. Um, yeah, although often you you accuse when we're talking in private, often you accuse me of just listening to you too much. No, you don't listen to me. You have no idea what I'm saying. You're just waiting to continue your story. Yeah. Anywho, so you feel at sea is what you're saying. You feel like I, you know, it's like I like I don't want to interrupt people in a in an oppressive way. But I do want to be able to uh, express my my culture in a way that feels natural and authentic to me. Yeah, that's hard. You what should a, write a, a book what, about it called "What a, pro- my what a Problem." Yeah. <laughs> um, I 
I think you just, you know what? You're a dad. You just get a shirt that's like, I'm not interrupting. I'm, um, what is it? I'm Jewish or I'm creative. I'm, I'm cooperative overlapping. I'm cooperative overlapping. Yeah. And then you'll get the nerdiest people on the street going, hey, I like that. And you'll be like, I know. Right, right. Um, and you'll be like, shut up. I don't actually want to talk to you. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm cool on this. I'm cool. Not from you. Yeah. I have a, I have a, I, I, I have a, a hat that I wear that has like a, a joke in Hebrew on it. And, um, and like Jews, like where, when I wear it out, like people literally like lean out the window of their car being like, I like your hat. And all the time Jews are like, I like your hat. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, and you're meaning like, that i'm also a jew i'm saying just hi like, jew to jew when's it time what's the yeah. signal <laughs> cue the laser um the weather machine is working well today i mean nice hat okay um <laughs> let's get... <laughs> gotta get to my shift with the space laser exactly let's uh let's get into this week i have no jokes really just some random things that happened so lots of premises for news items. Conservatives are mad about Rihanna on the cover of Vogue and the fact that she's in the foreground and her husband, Asap Rocky, is in the background with their child. They're basically just mad at depth perception, I believe. Thank you, NATO. Uh, Marianne Williamson is running for president. And her running mate, Rose Quartz, um, loved her work in um, 2016 for me. It was a good year. Prayed on her a lot. Um, Bernie has a new book called It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. For me, this is like his goodwill hunting Robin Williams moment where he just like says, it's okay to be angry about capitalism. It's okay to be angry about capitalism. And he just gets closer and closer to you. And eventually he's just hugging you and you're like, I'm so angry. <laughs> um, former President Jimmy Carter is in hospice and he is now being dragged on twitter for being a bad president come on you guys come on please stop he is good on palestine which is pretty much better than all presidents combined um the new york times is desperately trying to defend jk rowling's transphobia that was cute and predictable and there is a new effective male birth control that apparently get this stuns sperm but they were already pretty wowed by the view. Am I right, ladies? Oh, for everything else, <laughs> this is the week where. Okay, we got to get into the Fox files. This was actually a pretty big story that broke thanks to a lawsuit that Dominion has over a number of uh has filed over a number of media outlets, including Fox News. We are now getting... is, is Dominion like a weird, like, Catholic sect? Probably. All right. But in this case, some, some they're... kind of crazy Jesus people. All right. In this case, they're voting machines, right? So voting machines that are now not being used by counties across the country because so many Republicans believe that uh, Italian satellites were flipping votes via. Uh, Hugo Chavez's, you know, um, dying wishes that he, whatever, that he's controlling from the afterlife. So, like, that's basically the idea here. And Dominion's like, no, this is, and, and honestly, in this, 
hell country, the only way we can have any kind of accountability for the big lie is through some litigious ass company that's like, oh, no, no, I've put a lot of money into this and I'm definitely going to sue your ass. So they're suing Fox News for sowing uh, mistrust in their um, in in their voting machines. And now we have seen internal communications between Fox executives, including Rupert Murdoch, including Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, et cetera, about how they were really feeling about the 2020 election, whether they knew that it was a lie to say that there was some kind of shady anything going on, voter fraud, et cetera. And so we're finding out everything that happened behind the scenes. So there's a few aspects of this, NATO, I want to go through with you. So first, the revelations and their consequences, this is according to Mediaite, are stunning. They support a core tenet of Dominion's argument against Fox News, namely that the network allowed conspiracy theories about the election to air, despite knowing, in the words of Fox Corporation Chairman Rupert Murdoch, that those theories were crazy. Now, what what the communications reveal, basically, is that initially, when Fox News called Arizona for Biden, um, all of the hosts were like, what the fuck are you doing? No, 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 stop, 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 stop. Everyone's going to Newsmax now. They were scared. And then as the big lie get, got out of control and out of control and out of more out of control early January and then finally culminating in the insurrection, they were like, uh, we need to stop this. We need to knock this off. This is dangerous. This is ridiculous. So this is the beginning. This is how they were jealous of um, of. Uh, Newsmax. So on November 16th, Murdoch emailed Fox News President Suzanne Scott with a warning about Newsmax as a small conservative network gained support from Trump viewers who defected from Fox News out of outrage over the early call of Arizona for Biden. These people should be watched, if skeptically, Murdoch texted Scott. The next line is a staggering one coming from a news executive to the head of a supposed independent cable news network. Yeah, right. This is, quote, Trump will concede eventually from Murdoch. We should concentrate on Georgia helping any way we can. We don't want to antagonize Trump further, but Giuliani taken with a large grain of salt. Everything is at stake here. So don't upset the big man, but Giuliani crazy. We can ride this wave. We don't want to lose viewers to Newsmax. Um. Uh, the, this, in the last week, um, Comedian Richard Belzer died. Yes, and one of the things that circulated was this, was this online was a story about when he was on Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher, mm-hmm. and Ann Coulter was the guest, mm-hmm. and and he was and Richard Belzer was like, oh, she's a fascist Barbie doll. I gotta go, and Bill Maher was like, no, 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 she's my friend, and Belzer's like, yeah, but maybe, but she's a horrible liar, and you know that, so why? What are we doing? Um, it's just like you know, it's a good reminder that that like. The, at least for Fox News, like these people, it's just, you know, this is like capitalist profit accumulation. They're yep. just shrewd business people. They know it's all garbage and they're selling snake oil because there's a market for snake oil and they don't care. And, uh, you know, in the same way that like they're, you know, spreading nonsense about vaccines, but they all got vaccinated. I'm sure they're all vegetarians who enjoy a drag brunch from time to time. <laughs> yes. uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no. I mean, they absolutely right. And and so, like, there's a little bit through more to get through here, but I wanted to show a couple of facets to this. So Tucker Carlson, um, when a when one of the fact checkers who works at Fox tweeted, basically, that there was no no nothing to 
um, a Trump tweet about Dominion voting machines. Like there was no evidence of tampering or, you know, they were on the up and up, whatever, whatever. Um, she writes, there's no evidence of any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised, she noted in the tweet. And then uh, Carlson, Tucker Carlson texted their, his little group chat with Hannity and Ingram saying, please get her fired. Seriously, what the fuck? I'm actually shocked. This needs to be stopped immediately, like tonight. It's measurably hurting the company. The stock price is down, not a joke. So again, to NATO's point, this is them being like, we are missing the boat on this disinformation Please don't correct anything. And then a few months later, when the people who were, you know, loudest and out in front were the Giuliani's and the Sydney Powell, if you guys remember, sort of the, the Yeti who shops at Talbot's, um, she started coming out in front um, and saying things like this with uh, Maria Bartiromo, who honestly, out of all the Fox News hosts, dabbled and participated in that Dominion disinformation more than anyone else. Welcome back. I'm back with Sidney Powell, who is part of President Trump's legal team in contesting this election. Sidney, we talked about the Dominion software. I know that there were voting irregularities. Tell me about that. That's to put it mildly. The computer glitches could not and should not have happened in at, at all. Those, that is where the fraud took place, where they were flipping votes in the computer system or adding votes that did not exist. We I also see reports that Nancy Pelosi's longtime chief of staff is a key executive at that company, Richard Blum, Senator Feinstein's husband, significant shareholder of the company. What can you tell us about the interest on the other side of this Dominion software? Well, obviously, they have invested in it for their own reasons and are using it to commit this fraud to steal votes. There you go. So that there's Bartiromo and Sidney Powell um, just talking about she didn't hasn't even talked about the cracking yet. Um, and behind the <laughs> scenes, everyone knew that Sidney was nuts. So. Private texts from top Fox News figures demonstrate they did concede the claims were rubbish in private. Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane, Carlson wrote to Ingram on November 18th. Ingram replied, Sidney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. And then this is my favorite. Our viewers are good people, Carlson lamented, and they believe it. NATO, Carl Tucker Carlson's viewers are good people. You know, all they want is a white ethno state. God. I mean, what it makes me want, this is like, it, this, it, this feels like a riddle. It's like, it's like saying this statement is false. You know what I mean? Like if, if, so if Tucker Carlson says someone is a good person. Right. But it's a secret. But they're lying. Yeah. But they're it's like, is it good? Is it a sign that he's a better person than I thought he was? Right. <laughs> Are they actually good people? Is he wrong? Does it make them bad people if he thinks they're good people? Like, like I need, I need a, like a logical deconstruction of the implications of Tucker Carlson thinking someone is good. But the, what I think to me, it's like them saying like, well, we, yeah, we're going to sow misinformation, disinformation, but look at her, look at, she's, she's like a six at best. You know what I mean? Like they're, you know, look at Giuliani. He actually, like, I can smell the liquor coming through my screen. Like he, they want it wrapped up better. And if it were anything like the 2000 or the 2004 George W. Bush election, they're like, oh, they're totally chill with stealing elections, but do it right. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the, like, all the Fox News people live in New York City. Yes. 
Um, and, you know, there's just like... Vote in Florida, know, you know, live you, in New York, you know, the, the right, GOP you have, to, you have to be a more functional member of society to live in New York City a little bit than, than in Florida. You can't be a sociopath all the time. No, it would be very funny to do a little Sex in the City. I mean, it's a little late, but Sex in the City Fox News hosts, you know. Don't, uh, don't, 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 don't. Tomato just like lands in, you know, Janine Pirro's face. Boom, 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 boom. Anyway. Um, good sketch. Great sketch. So, so here they are talking about executives Fox talking about Maria Bartiromo specifically. Gary Schreier on Maria Bartiromo, quote, the problem is she has GOP conspiracy theorists in her ear and they use her for their message sometimes. Fox President Jay Wallace saying, quote, the North Koreans do a more nuanced show than Lou Dobbs. Lou Dobbs was then fired, by the way, the only person who was actually taken off Fox News for being too cray. Fox President Jay Wallace, when Brett Byer suggested Fox buy Parler, you know, the right wing um, uh, Twitter, said, we can barely contain Dobbs. Imagine all the crazy we'd be responsible for. <laughs> like, I, it is, and I know, NATO, you stupidly are resistant to watching the best television show on at the moment, which is not Last of Us. It is Succession, although it hasn't come back yet. But this is so Succession. This is It's like they are, yes, like cynical motherfuckers who know exactly what they're doing, play into the lies, love the lies. But when it's a little too cray, they're they're like, ugh, I don't know. They're, they're not touching it. Look, I'm just going to be over here watching Ted Lasso and crying because that's what I needed in my life. <laughs> Wait, okay, so before, if anyone's like, okay, but did Tucker participate in the Dominion stuff? Did he participate in, like, the lying about the election? The answer is yes, but in the most Tucker Carlson-ass way, which is, is it a crime to ask questions? The insurrectionists. People who were justly upset because they felt that the 2020 election was not on the level, which it was not, by the way, which it was not, and we know that for a fact now that we've seen the, Google, the Twitter files, which prove that the big tech companies took a side in that election, that we didn't have a free and fair election, there are questions. The last election was not like previous elections. Democrats used the pandemic to change voting rules in ways that made it much easier to commit fraud. That's just true. We have to do this, they told us. People will die if we don't. So there you see sort of like the nuance of denialism and of, um, of, of the lying, because it's He's not talking about Dominion specifically, so I don't think Dominion can hammer Tucker's on that. But he is saying, oh, but by virtue of the fact that you allowed mail-in voting, you allowed, like, drop-off uh, voting, the fact that you expanded voting hours and rights, that automatically means that there is fraud, right? That automatically means that it wasn't on the up-and-up. So it's like a different tack on the same bullshit. Right, and but he can, he can still say, like, Oh, I'm not saying that the, the I'm not saying the problem was Dominion. I'm saying that it was the tech companies right. that took a side, and that's why people stormed the castle cap, capital, even though it was about storm the castle. Princess Bride just creeps in all the time. I wish, I wish. Oh, Nancy, oh Nancy, let down your. I don't know. I would have liked to see arrows. I definitely feel like Jan Six missed arrows. There wasn't enough archery. There wasn't even there wasn't even a crossbow. Don't you think? Like like okay. Like, obviously, hashtag no political violence, but I really would have loved to see a massive slew of arrows <laughs> flying at those MAGA motherfuckers. Uh -huh. I would have been into it. Um, 
I, I just, this weekend, my kid wanted to watch Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers again, mm-hmm. uh, which culminates in the Siege of Helm's Deep, where they find like all these senior citizens and children, farmers in Rohan to become fighters to defend against the Orc Horde. And then the, and then the Orcs, and then they like shoot arrows at the Orc Horde. Yes, and Orc. inexplicably, in the span of about three hours, all of the like peasant subsistence farmers of Rohan have become expert marksmen and are able to shoot arrows directly into the orcs' necks yes. through their armor. Yes. It's really incredible. Okay, I thought there was more to it, but yeah, I love that. <laughs> and if anyone, by the way, just speaking of like, what, probably one of the funniest best stand-up takes on Jan 6, have you seen uh, the Real Earthquakes special? It's like a Dave Chappelle, sadly, but sponsored Netflix half hour. And it's so fucking funny, you guys. Watch Real Earthquakes special. It's so good. So, so, so I good. think it's called Legendary. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So we have to good. move on because this was also the week where um, there is a woman in the Republican race for president vying for uh, the GOP vote. That is former governor of South Carolina and former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, although she does not mention either of those things when she is running. She's just a mom and an immigrant, and that is uh, Nikki Haley. She's entered the race for the Republican presidential nominee. She is very convinced that she's the gal to do it, and she is definitely um, striking those same chords here. I feel like it's getting a little woke. Take a look at the uh, campaign ad, part of it. Some people look at America and see vulnerability. The socialist left sees an opportunity to rewrite history. China and Russia are on the march. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. Yes, queen. Um, it, I love that she says that. What did she say about like I know how to stand up to bullies? And then there's a the, then the next shot that she has is of her sitting down politely raising her hand. For yeah. her to speak. <laughs> That's what bullies uh, will do. Uh, me? Can I go next? Can I? Me? Please. I'll wait my turn. Teacher, um, China's kicking my desk right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is, and. Oh, God, there's so much to say about that, because also, like, I didn't mention this in the rundown, but Biden just got back from a straight war zone. Like, he was just in Kiev, like, kind of sticking it to Putin in solidarity with Ukraine, no matter what we think of, you know, the endless money that's being sent there and the endless amount of weaponry. It was kind of a baller ass move. Uh, Okay, Jimmy Dore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jimmy Dore would never say that. By the way, don't um, you know you can't say his name a third time because you know what happens. He pops up and does a response video. <laughs> so this this girl, this girl, this girl here. Yes, 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 girl. Yeah, I tweeted angrily at her in 2017 from Venice, Italy. I was eating a gelato and see, see, look at this tweet. Look at this DM. I'm sorry. Clip that, by the way. That was excellent. JD work. Um, that is Johnny Depp. Clean it up in post. <laughs> post. Okay. So Haley's running 
here, NATO, if you're wondering why she's running, she has a perfect answer. You're like, why would she want to do this? She was a never Trumper. You know, then she became, you know, like fell in line, became a stooge. She also maybe slept with Donald Trump. Yeah, that's true. Um, why is she running? Why does she want to be president? Something from the Wall Street Journal this week. They said you had a, a great day, your great rollout day, but they said you have to provide a rationale for your candidacy that you haven't done yet. They said you've got to answer this question about why you versus anybody else in the uh, in the GOP field. You know, they're talking about the fact that you say, you know, America first, America should be powerful. Those are things that any GOP candidate is going to say. So why you? Why not me? You know, I am a the wife of a combat veteran. I'm a mother of two children, one who's getting married, and I see how hard it is for her to look at buying a home, one that's in college, and I see what he's dealing with with woke education. You know, I'm the daughter of immigrant parents who are upset by what's happening at the border. I don't want to wait for someone else to fix this. I want to make sure we get in there and fix it. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. She's just like, I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm sorry. Why do I want to be present? I'm a child. I'm a mother. I'm a sinner. I'm a saint. And they're like, Nikki, Nikki, hello? She, she sort of talks like an alien who's trying to pass. You know, like, like it's so stilted and unnatural. It's like just it's all so halting and... It, there's a very much like a hello fellow humans we do this don't we mm-hmm. yes we do i am a mother and uh no look first of all a couple things happened this week also in nikki haley's campaign that she's trying to spin to her advantage don lemon said she wasn't in the prime of her life which i think objectively was a fairly sexist thing to say um but then wajahat ali who's been on this show just spit some fire truths on the Mehdi Hassan show on MSNBC saying that she being she's the daughter of you know uh, Indian immigrants that she was basically what a lot of like Asian immigrants are like told and taught to do under a white supremacist system which is punch down and um white like what did he say he was like run cover for white supremacy by punching down at black and latino americans and it was like so good and all kinds of backlash for those comments but no lies detected there uh it is very fucking sad to me that she and and again this is the whole like this is the thing with with maga man you are only allowed to play specifically i think that game if you're a cis straight white dude in my opinion like marjorie green she could, she could probably do it, but even she, no, she won't get that far. Um, they don't want Nikki Haley. MAGA doesn't want Nikki Haley. She's trying to roll back the clock into have a Republican Party that do, no longer exists. You know, maybe the Koch brothers will smile upon her over DeSantis. Maybe she'll get money. Um, you know, maybe Mitch McConnell will. Who knows what's going to happen? But she's also very, very specifically positioning herself in a way that doesn't antagonize Donald Trump name and by name or anything she her whole thing nato is uh n- having a generational shift we need a, something n- new younger people and it's like mm, i think you're talking about your senile ass fucking former president yeah we we just we need people who don't look like they're about to keel over because of one too many plates of pulled pork super nachos <laughs> 
As I call him, the sleepless goldfish. We don't need a, a, a goldfish who's currently turning on its side, about to sort of float up to the top and bob for a while before they launch their their uh, presidential candidacy. Um, <laughs> Final thoughts on Nikki Haley? It's, uh, no. No, I'm ready to move on. Okay, good. I'm glad. Because Let's talk about health communism. I'm super excited to be joined by the co-host of the podcast, Death Panel, all about the political economy of health, and the author of the book, Health Communism, A Surplus Manifesto, out now through Verso. Please welcome Beatrice Adler-Bolton. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. So excited to have you on the show uh, and break down this book for us and help us understand what we get wrong about health i feel like you guys you set out to explain and and try to lay out a vision we don't really have a vision for health in this country beyond like medicare for all maybe which feels even that feels visionary and like dreamlike at least we're being we're told that constantly oh my god then you'll want a pony so but you guys are really talking about reevaluating what health means in this country and please explain why do we need to reevaluate health I think right now the left is just under exposed to some of the critiques of health that we have, especially that would be really valuable to our movements and just to the way that we sort of think around politics. If we think about right now, you know, the average person on, you know, they have maybe an employer's sponsored health insurance if they're lucky. Most people don't. <laughs> and even when you do have that kind of wonderful insurance, um, I don't think that there really is a guy that loves their insurance. I think that that's a kind of made up, <laughs> um, that's a made up person. But I think that ultimately, yeah. you know, most of the ways that we use our health care um, is really to kind of make sure that we're still able to earn a wage. Like if we think, obviously we're sort of getting care, but so often people are either going to the doctor to get a note to prove to their boss that they deserve the sick day or they're going mm -hmm. to the doctor to be made more healthy so that they can be a better worker. And so much of the ways that we talk about health and think about health on the left is just really limited to maybe a single nation intervention or ideas that sort of build on this idea of health being about maintaining your labor power in the way that, mm. you know, kind of we already think of it. So I think that there's just a lot more that we can work with if we stop for a moment and sort of interrogate some of the things around even what health is to really question, you know, do, is there such a thing as a healthy person, right? Like if we're all living under capitalism and health is about being a good worker and making yourself available for extraction yeah. of surplus value, do we even want to be healthy under capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. and is there a way to think of health that goes beyond some of these frameworks that we, we know very well, but we also know so well, um, just how miserable they make us and how much suffering comes as a result of some of these very specific decisions about how we're going to think about certain things and, and health and who pays for health and who deserves health care is one of the things that for a very long time, the left has had a very limited take on. Mm. Now, what do you think is the role of the practice on the left of carrying a water bottle at all times in terms of capitalist accumulation? C, exhibit A. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, you, t you too? Mm -hmm. I just have a Stormtrooper glass. <laughs> wow. A Stormtrooper trooper tiki cup, cup with water in it. Thank you very much. Um, so do you, when you talk about, like, the, it, it, that sounds like a fairly um, per pervasive critique that, like, health in, sort of and capitalism are infused in every, like, can you, can you talk some, I mean, in, in your book, you, you sort of articulate a vision for a, a way forward. Like, is it possible to have health in a meaningful sense under capitalism? Or is this like, we, we need, we need a revolution. Do you have an idea about what, like what some people would call uh, non-reformist reforms that can happen where we are? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's kind of funny about the water bottle example is it's actually a good, I know you were joking, but it is actually a good example. Oh, I'm serious as a motherfucker about water. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all for hydrating. But if we think about some of the ways that we, we keep ourselves healthy, right? Like it's all oriented around people's individual behaviors. Like, are you drinking enough water? Are you being right. a good consumer and making sure that you're not buying disposable water bottles that you're throwing away. You know, so much of the way that we even think about engaging in like environmental politics is also translated through this consumer frame in a very similar way to the way that we see health, where yes. it's like, you yeah. know, you're responsible for your health, get your vaccinations, go to your PCP, stay on your medications, and you will be a, a better worker for it. And so a lot of the things that comprise health um, I don't think that under capitalism we can actually have it because I think part of the point is that health is always supposed to be unattainable. It's like an aspirational goal mm. and <laughs> it's really up to people to kind of better themselves towards that as a way of like gaining more value in the labor market like so much of like how we even conceptualize like what a healthy person is like usually that's someone who's athletic and exercising maybe they work out you know they've got like they're thin they have their water bottle they do yoga. andrew tate you can just say it yeah andrew tate you know oh i'm actually that. thinking more of like the wellness bitches like no yeah you know <laughs> the kind of people who are like okay you know i i have like all of my wellness routines and like my goal is to sort of construct like health around me and i, I totally understand the kind of impulse because so much of you know, our healthcare system is really cold and uh, kind of unforgiving and doesn't make people feel welcome. But I think part of it is that we have this dogma that like your health is up to you and it's about your choices and it's about you making the right choices, whether that's picking the right yoga class or whatever, or picking the right doctor. It's really like all around this very individuated understanding of what health is when ultimately <laughs> whether or not you get asthma has less to do with you working out or your genetics and more to do with like what factories were were you living around when you grew up as a child what yeah well, it, yeah in? you know i grew up in la um so before smog uh was like a huge problem uh in terms of like conversation right like it was something that i think in the in the early 90s when i was really little like was just starting to be talked about right like Mm -hmm. that we were being exposed to these environmental toxins and we needed to start checking cars, right? And it was up to everyone to make sure that they got their smog check on their car to do their part. But fundamentally, like everyone getting their car smog check doesn't fix the problem of extractive capitalist industries polluting the air that we breathe, right? And so ultimately, 
this is an idea that actually really does already exist called the social determinants of health, which is like, you can only control so much about your own health. You can work mm -hmm. out all you want. It's not going to save you. And I don't mm -hmm. think that you can be healthy when we live in a world under racial capitalism, which is a global system, and all oriented towards this kind of directional extraction from poor people to people with means. And I think that that fundamentally makes both uh, health unattainable for people of a certain class position, but it also, you know, does frame health as something that is not um, a right. Even though we like to talk about health as a human right, I don't think that our political economy actually reflects that. And so, yes, you know, I I, I, so I want to jump in and just say just 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 a little like yes, and you're very excited because I have so many. I just want to jump in and say yes, yes, and <laughs> and you know breaking all that down, you know high theory, but just yes, and because it is a way to privatize the cost, right? And once again, the capitalism is so good at doing and you know. Uh, sorry, socializing the cost and privatizing the gains and all that. And the way that, yeah, it is on you individually within the most narrow confines of the privatized healthcare system to get well. And I'm in the middle. I, we've got great healthcare right now, supposedly. I mean, PPO, whatever, that we buy on the effing marketplace that is so exorbitant. And you're just on hold for your meds for forever you know, like, and you get ping ponged around. I just had a baby. The shit is just like, it is, it is absolutely insane. The level of, of, um, like the way that you get pinched and prodded. And the fact that I like paid money for a vaginal birth, you know what I'm saying? Just like all the ways I'm still paying for this. Um, and, and yet, you're being told that you have the choice. It's all you. It's your choice to be healthy. Your choice, your choice. Your cho oh, you know what? You don't have a choice over whether or not you have that kid. No, we're going to take that right away completely um, because uh, it actually we want little worker bees who are unhappy and are uh, unable to do anything but work in our Amazon warehouse that is not unionized. You know what? Like that's it's this whole beautiful, disgusting system, which also Amazon has like three times, I think, or two times the rate of average injuries compared to other similar factory layouts. And I think you see this kind of disposability of of people, but also this thing where like people are blamed for not having their health. But as we've yes. been saying, like so much of it is out of your control. Like if you work a job that prevents you from sitting on hold with your fucking insurance company for 12 hours to get your monthly medication, is it really on you if you're not taking your meds anymore? Right. Or is it on Absolutely. us? I, because I think it's really on the system. And, and we talk about things like and blame people for all sorts of things. We call patients non-compliant when they can't afford their medication. And I think... <laughs> you know, just these frameworks and understanding what the point is of sitting on the phone, you know, your experience. Yeah. It's very common and it's by design yeah. and it's yeah. called an administrative burden. Have, have y'all heard of this before? I mean, no, but yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty self-evident. Like it's an obvious name, right? But it's a health policy design tool. So you implement administrative burdens, like paperwork that has to be delivered mm -hmm. by a certain time, you know, prior authorizations, these kind of systems, what they do is they meter access to care. They're intended right. to weed people out. It's intended to reduce demand. We have this very sickening thing in the United States to your point about non-reformist reforms where we see a problem in healthcare and we go, for example, oh my God, everybody is under or uninsured. 
right? Mm -hmm. And we have the ACA. Now everyone's underinsured and everyone's mm -hmm. like, we have to get costs down. Well, how do you get costs down? By rationing healthcare, by kicking people off of Medicaid, by instituting administrative burdens that are going to slow down the demand yeah. because we have more demand for healthcare than we can provide because we have spent decades in the United States privatizing our safety net hospitals. Doctors offices have consolidated. We're seeing, you know, these huge shifts where things have gotten more private. Private equity is, has gotten more control over the health sector. And so what we're actually seeing is like a moment where if we were to pursue a fix for our health system to reduce costs, it would be fucking brutal. Right. Like it would yeah. be I mean, deadly. The, the, the big the big the most, you know, undeniably the most effective cost containment measure our healthcare system could adopt is to let people die. Yeah. And that's um, what we're seeing like with COVID. Yes. Nothing saves money faster than letting people die. Beatrice, I feel like like the way that you're talking about health in terms of keeping people as productive workers rather than sort of understanding health in terms of people living full lives um, under capitalism. I feel like you're sort of like, there's something that you're alluding to about the place of disabled people in capitalism. Mm. And could you just sort of say it more explicitly? Yeah, of course. So I'm disabled. I'm certified by the government, officially disabled, have the stamp, you know, got the official mm -hmm. memo. The way that I was certified was that I proved to an administrative law judge, not that I was sick enough to, to be disabled, but that I was sick enough that it prevented me from working. And not a mm -hmm. lot of people actually understand this. Our, our disability support system for, for folks who are disabled uh, and working, they can't access SSDI. They don't get Medicare. They don't get the kind of disability benefits. Disability benefits are for when you're not working. We have a different definition of disability for the Americans with Disabilities Act because that's about disabled people who are working. So if you can be uh, accommodated in the workplace and that could make you able to work, then you qualify as disabled under the Americans with Disabilities Act. But if you were able to prove that you could work and therefore are deserving of accommodations, you're proving that you're ineligible for SSDI. Right. So <laughs> we have these two different frameworks where we say, OK, like the people, the disabled people who deserve the ramps, who deserve the workplace accommodations, those are the working disabled people. We're going to prioritize those sort of interventions. And for people who can't work, we have, you know, this safety net program, which I would not be alive without, but which, you know, thousands of people die every year in the wait list just to get through the process of the application. And then after you get approved, it's, you know, it took me five years to get approved. And then I had to wait two years for my Medicare to kick in. So additionally, while there's like this huge drop off rate and people die when they're trying to prove that they can't work anymore, just for like, you know, a fucking meager amount of money from the federal government every month and, and traditional Medicare, like the bare minimum. Um, your income is capped. You, you can't make money anymore. You can't work or else you'll lose your, lose your health care. And so we really sort of say, so the only people who are deserving of socialized payment for their health care are the people that are not profitable markets, like right. non-working disabled people people over 65. If you actually look back to, sorry, bear with me. 
if you look back to like the uh era of the black death you know right mm. before the emergence of capitalism um you have and we talk about this in the book in our chapter called labor you have the introduction of a couple novel frameworks of who deserves to not work in an economy. And um, that hasn't changed much at all since the 1300s. It was at that point, people over the age of 65, people who could prove that they were disabled through no fault of their own. And so it's a, it, it was the first time that it made not working illegal. Mm -hmm. And it also exempted property owners, of course. So Jesus Christ. When you start to think about, oh, they're going to raise the age, they want to raise the age of, of retirement for Medicare and Social Security another five years, right? To think back that, like, you know, even back during the Black Death, they wouldn't have done that <laughs> is, is pretty staggering, right? To think of how long well, it's, that, that it's humbling, been in place. you know? Yeah. It's like, hey, we've always been trash. Cool. But again, I mean, let's look on the bright side about the Black Death. Mm, yeah. Um, because, they're, they're, I mean, it took a yes, lot of red state voters. Half of the population of Europe died. <laughs> yeah. Workers have power, though. Half the population of Europe died. This happened but on the other workers hand, workers have power because so many people died. Yeah. So, you know, there is, I mean, there's a bunch of, uh, of, uh, uh, but, scholarship but about it kind of, and now we get striketober so i mean good. exactly and I, I feel like you don't necessarily um i'm sure on your the podcast you talk about this all the time but like covid has proven just how fragile and precarious not having universal health care is for any society and and including capitalism unless as nato says you're just fine with everyone dying and it seems like you know ultimately all the like hemming and hawing about like oh workers have too much power i mean obviously they're mad at any stimulus money but it's also like gee maybe we do need to keep people minimally more healthy there should be sick days you you know universally no matter if you're you know what your condition is um do you think this is a moment ripe for a concept like like health communism or like rethinking our definitions of healthcare and health well, part of the reason why we wrote the book is because my co-author, Artie, who's also a co-host of Death Panel with me, he and I have been people who work on, on health justice and Medicare for all or state single payer campaigns for many years now. Um, and part of that is out of self-interest, which is that, you know, I have fucking expensive medications and uh, Aetna never wanted to give them to me, nor would Cigna, nor would any of these companies because I wasn't profitable. I cost $350,000 a month. There's no upside for them. So yeah. that's what pushed me into the high risk pool. And really more than anything else is like making me eligible to certify as disabled in the United States. And so, you know, one of the things that's been missing from the conversation around Medicare for all is why we give a shit about cost. Why do we yeah. care about reducing costs? Why is the left going around saying Medicare for all is great because we're going to save money? Mm. Well, I, you know, it's fundamentally, I think, a dangerous way to advocate for universal policies, right? Like when we start talking about something being a good reform because it saves money, one, it's also fucking boring. Like who cares? <laughs> right, um, right, right, right. Really sounds like a lot more fun to be like, let's organize uh, a bunch of people together to um, work on this campaign for Medicare for all, because if we could have one payer 
then we could think about our health insurance more like we think about union power, where we could start to say, okay, yes, we have one payer and that might reduce costs, but most importantly, that creates a bargaining unit. If I yeah. can't get a drug in my state and you can't get a drug in your state, we're on different plans. I can't do shit to help you get your drug if I get mine. Right. But if right. we had Medicare for all, we had one payer, it's like the IWW approach to unionization, except for flipped onto health finance. And so part of what Artie and I you know, wanted to do when we started Death Panel was really try and talk through some of these conversations around Medicare for all that were just not happening, which is like, how do we do healthcare for non-workers? How do we do healthcare for everyone, even if it costs more? And why comedians, comedians, especially partially employed people. <laughs> and it's 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 frustrating because I think that there would be a lot of rhetorical value to the left to start to think about how we can create workers movements that work for non-workers, too, because yes. the, the non-working position, the position that I'm in, like I might not look super sick and disabled to your your viewers like they they don't know that I can't see very well. They don't know, like what I'm like when I'm not in front of the camera, but like they probably would have a difficult time picking me out from a crowd and saying she's definitely disabled. You know, what mm -hmm. what disables me um, in many ways is my disease. I think we can all agree though that uh, the listenership of the Vituation Room should be the people deciding who's eligible for disability and not administrative law judges. Yeah, it would probably be better, yeah. It would yeah. be. But, the Frantifa you know, is very gracious <laughs> what makes what makes me disabled is like that i could never get a job that would give me enough sick days just to go to my infusion appointments which are two days every four weeks and go to the doctor like i wouldn't be able to get sick above and beyond the sick days that i already had i can't work a job that doesn't give sick days because i sick I, you know i would need those and so when you have well, we live like, in a massive we live in a sorry we live in a massive squid game for healthcare. That is what this country is. It is you're fine so long as you don't step on the landmine of getting sick. And guess what? You're going to get sick. It's not a question of if but when. It happens. Sorry, I didn't no, mean to no, no, you. No. I'm just yeah. No, honestly, collaborative speech like I'm Yes, collaborative speech. Um, I wanted to actually it, this is so random but it health for me also more broadly means like you know, time with your friends and family time off you know enjoying life not living to work i think as someone who's lived outside of this country it is very you have you have culture shock when you get back into the states and people are like oh hi what do you do for a living it's the first words out of your mouth when you meet somebody you know and it's just bizarre and you feel yourself doing it and you're like it's basically like well what's i'm sorry what's your reason for living and you're like oh, i'm a fucking person is that okay I, I posted something on Instagram that totally triggered people. And it's kind of this like low key anarchist like meme. Um, I don't know where it comes from, but it says, I didn't go to work today. I don't think I'll go tomorrow. Let's take control of our lives and live for pleasure, not pain. And it, I, I posted it on Labor's Day, Labor Day. And people are like, well, I think it's important to work and I don't just, and we just, part of that revolution of health, again, to your point of thinking bigger than Medicare for all is about rethinking our relationship to work and who is deserving of, yeah, the, a day to sleep in, a day to rest, the, like reclaiming rest, you know, versus being like, no, grind set mindset, bitch. Like, and like, it's so bad. Yeah, no, and and also then 
you know, if you do get so sick that you're like me and you're fucked and you're so fucked that no one will hire you and you're so unprofitable that no one will insure you. And so you fall into the crack and the safety net catches you. You know, in exchange for Medicare, my income is capped at like $13,000 a year. Jesus so Christ. like I am labor discipline. The poverty imposed on me as a disabled person by our safety net program is a reason for yep. other people to stay in their shitty jobs because if they ever yes. got so sick that they needed SSDI, you know, it would be a huge blow to their income. And the other thing is that we don't give SSDI to everyone. People who are disabled as children who never work, they don't qualify for SSDI. You have to pay into the system to prove that you could work at one point to qualify for SSDI. People who are disabled as children who are never able to work, they're on this other program. It's called SSI, Supplemental Security Income. And they don't even get Medicare. They only get Medicaid. So they're subject to rationing. Some people in Texas have a maximum of three prescriptions per month. And then you layer onto that the privatization of COVID and they're pushing COVID to the private market. And they're, the Biden administration's plan is that they're going to fucking beg insurance companies to get rid of co-pays. Like, I'm sorry. You know, I, I just feel like there are better ways to be talking about Medicare for all that give us tools against some of these rhetorical moves but yes one of the ways that we're so used to talking about is like workers deserve this it's going to save money and i think we have to move beyond it beatrice uh, uh i like you even if capitalism doesn't <laughs> thank um, you the <laughs> the the, the uh, so I, I i work for a union and uh, mostly organize with safety net healthcare workers um, and so one of the things we run into all the time is like the city will say, you know, there's not budget for the staffing that you need. And then and then we say, well, then the budget is wrong. Like you, you know, the 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 the, the budget should be whatever our patients need to be taken care of. Um, w one thing I wanted to ask you about is um, how you think about how you apply this critique to conversations about evidence in in the develop in like how healthcare is delivered and, and created like like how does it um, the 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 logics that you're criticizing about sort of um, about about how much capitalism and expectations about capitalism and assumptions about productivity infuse all of our understandings about healthcare how does it come up with even how we talk about sort of what is seen as like purely dispassionate evidence about about future treatments or or whatever well i think one thing that we also try and do in the book is make an intervention towards a left internationalist understanding of health um because if i think in COVID is a good example of why we need something uh and some sort of global scale intervention because it's not like if the united states fixed all of its healthcare problems all of our health, you know, finance issues and got everyone Medicare for all that everything would be fixed and perfect, right? There would still be these other systems that we would need to tackle. And many of them are in other countries. And the problem with the US model of care is that companies in the US, you know, have exported it around the world. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things we talk about in the book, for example, is like, you know, the World Trade Organization making uh, adopting private healthcare markets compulsory to certain other types of, of funding. So we 
tricked the world into adopting our bullshit. And other countries have not necessarily taken it on um, the way the U.S. has, but the U.S. basically has as many different types of insurance plans just in the U.S. as we have throughout the entire world. So some of the things that we can do here actually, I think, teach us lessons for things that we can do at a global scale and sort of do in terms of like thinking about how also our advocacy for various health programs will affect other people in other countries. Because when in the U.S. we say like, oh, we just want like what Canada has. Right. People in Canada are like, well, I can't get my fucking medication either. Right. Right. So we have to sort of start thinking about how these logics of extraction go beyond the individual, beyond the community, beyond the nation, actually into the kind of population as a whole, which whether you're marked surplus like me or you're just in the kind of queue to become surplus, we are all treated as raw material by global racial capitalism. And our politics should reflect that. Mm-hmm. You know what I, I'm just struck by because I feel like you're you talking about what is it the administrative burden I call it just like you know insane bureaucracy that people especially the right who all can buy their way out of any kind of you know disability or or you know whatever anything uh, tragedy that befalls them like is that. It, it reminds me also of the immigration system. You don't understand how utterly bureaucratic and fucked it is unless you're in it, unless you're trying to get care, unless you're trying to get citizenship, unless you're trying to even just be legally chill in this system, you know, or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, right now people are being kicked off their Medicaid and you hear these stories, you know, these moms, they gave birth and they had, you know, they had uh, health complications, their kid had health complications, but then they made too much money in their like 15 hour a week jobs to then still qualify. They're being kicked off their kids sick. Like it's just, it is so sinister. It is so cruel what we do to people, to our own people. Um, And like you're saying, we are all just kind of cannon fodder slash, you know, worker bees. But I want to ask you then, if it is international, why communism? Why um, my little like spidey sense goes up is like, you know, it's like, why, why communism? Why does it have to? And like, does that sort of, it makes me think of like, oh, what about China or like Cuba or other things like this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to say like, so it's small C communism. Got so it. like the idea, not the brand. <laughs> um, but it's it's also because we're calling for a reorganization of the entire political economy. So in some ways, socialism, well, I'm not disparaging socialism by saying that our goal on the horizon is health communism. I think that in a lot of ways, though, if if we don't push past some of the iterations of socialism that we already know and we already see in political economies throughout the world, whether that's the NHS uh, in the, the United Kingdom, whether that's things like the kind of Scandinavian model, there are a couple different existing models of socialist healthcare. Those are all still based on austerity and rationing and things like the NHS even have like artificial markets inserted into how it runs in order to create efficiency inspired by Mm -hmm. American management consultants, of course. So part of why it's health communism and not um, 
health socialism <laughs> is that we are actually, you know, we are calling for a reorganization of the entire political economy, not just um, kind of the essentials, actually, because, mm. you know, we have to take a look at sort of our total health industries. And that actually goes much broader beyond things just like medical care. And I think we have to start thinking about what are the kind of other parasitic industries that also, um, you know, extract from us and are, are basically um, regulated as as if like the government's job is to facilitate their extraction from us, right? right like, right. There, the so like so much of health health policy is about Spotify making us available. <laughs> Ticketmaster. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's, 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 so it's, it's not that it's like anti-socialist or that we're like, oh, we're too cool for that or something. And we're not trying to be edgy. Like the Matt Iglesias have, has accused us of like only picking this title just to piss people off. This title's there because it describes the opposite of what we live with. We live under mm. health capitalism and there is no named version of what we, we don't have a name for the system that we live in. So in, in naming the opposite, we can also yeah. kind of crack open political will, crack open the political horizon and stake a claim for, you know, something bigger, a non-reformist reform beyond anything that the left has actually imagined before. Like why stop with Medicare for all? This should be the floor not the ceiling for how we're conceptualizing how the left can build power, you know? And, and I think that's really kind of our goal here, obviously, you know, in the United States, using the word communism is a provocation, no matter what we've made sure, sure of that, but it, I think is a necessary discussion about really, you know, how many industries does this touch? How many different ways is your health commodified? It's not just your insurance company. It's not just your doctor. But, but you know, what I like about using the C word and the lowercase C word is the way that when you start to argue against it, you you sound like a sociopathic asshole. Like, you know what I mean? Where you're like, well, it shouldn't be each according to his need. Because, like, what if I also want to have vision problems and uh, take more meds uh, like what you know what I mean like you can't you cannot truly and that's why private insurance companies never give interviews they only work behind the scenes because they know that they are working in an indefensible industry that has failed the American people time and time again they know they're evil they know that and and you cannot defend a privatized healthcare system anymore and so I like that because because it is, you know, everyone should have what they need, what they, and there should be no barrier to giving, because this, you know, you're always told, oh, communism is rationing. Bullshit. Capitalism is rationing. You've just explained how that happens. And we live it every single day in this country, how it happens. And I like also that you're saying no mixed economy. No, 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 no. None of this mixed economy market bullshit. No market involved in health. I think that's uh, planting your flag or stake or whatever on Picking that. The hill. Is, is, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's provocative and, but, but, but for good reason. Last thing. The, the critical question is what are the first sectarian splits coming in health communism? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, who is calling for health Maoism? <laughs> we already have. Yeah. Some, yeah. We already have some health Maoists in our discord server for sure. Tight. <laughs> 
my people. <laughs> uh, what? Okay, I guess last question. Um, God, I have so many questions, but um, are you adverse to something like a universal basic income? Does that feel like um, still, how would that, would that be like too tied to the market in some way? No, I think it's incredibly important. And I think it's part of how we start to think around social safety net programs that are actually going to make material differences in people's lives. We have yeah. pounds and, and volumes and just pages and pages of health policy research that shows cash in hand is better than any other intervention that we could make. And right now, also, it's like a worker issue to save people from these miserable fucking jobs it's someone's mm -hmm. job to go to work every day and sue the families of people who died while on medicaid to recover the cost of like the care that they needed as they were dying and they'll take people's houses after they've died it's called medicaid estate recovery we did a whole episode talking with Libby Watson about it for um one of our medicare for all week special series in 2021 and it's like you know, it's cruel to make someone earn their wage by taking away the houses of dead people to pay for care towards like, you know, the most sort of austere system that we, I mean, it's just, it's a beyond like things like, you know, companies just having bad culture. Like we have a market economy where this is someone's life to do that. And that is going to hurt your health. If we want to address health, it can't be a job that you have to go to work all day and deny people their meds. And that's no. how we have to start thinking of things is not just like our own individual experiences as consumers of our own health care, but the whole system, not just the people that are needing the care or getting the care or giving the care or paying for the care, but all of the other people who right now are tied up in gatekeeping the care or punishing the people like this is why communism. But what about their jobs? As I was asked, I was told to ask Bernie Sanders, what happens to the people whose job it is to foreclose on the home of, and get their money back for the people who died? while receiving Medicaid, someone's what if, job. What if you're a virtuoso at it? Like somebody has to be the Michelangelo <laughs> de denying meds. Yeah, exactly. What if someone was put on this earth by God to be the best at denying meds of her all time? Her name is Jackie and she works in the CVS right down the road from me. I know her, I know this bitch. Um, Beatrice, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, everyone, Health Communism is out now uh, via Verso Books. Um, I'll read the book. Buy it through Burso, please. And also Death Panel. Incredible podcast. Thank you. That, and I'm so happy to have you on. I could talk about this just clearly forever. <laughs> please come back and uh, everyone check out Beatrice's awesome work. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Take care. Uh, you too. And thank you, Nato Green, for sticking around. We have one more final segment before we uh, fuck off into the night. And uh, that is... I'm actually not going to do a sexed elect overthrow, although we could. But I think maybe fuck, Mary kill is more apt here. So um, Diane Feinstein, DiFi, DiFi and the Fi die, she is resigning at long last. She might finally die. She might finally. I mean, she's just not running for re-election, right? She's not yeah. ending early. Um She's not running for re-election, and so uh, in comes 
Representative Katie Porter, uh, Representative uh, Barbara Lee, and of course, little shifty shift. Um, once again, uh, Barbara Lee, the sole vote against the uh, invasion of Afghanistan uh, after 9-11. Pretty incredible. Um, probably going to get this Bernie Sanders endorsement. Uh, that, that would actually be my bet as well. Um, you've got Porter, who, you know, carries around her whiteboard and, like, sticks it to um, Big Pharma and other, like, corrupt white-collar douches on the daily. And Adam Schiff, you know, who has made his opposition to Trump and leading the charge around the um, impeachment. Honestly, I don't like Adam Schiff, but he played a role. I don't want him necessarily to be senator. And it also seems like maybe Ro Khanna is jumping into this race. But there's only three slots. Fuck, marry, kill, sex, elect, overthrow, uh, Democratic Senate primary. It might actually, I mean, you know, is Larry Elder going to throw his name into this? <laughs> because, uh, you know, it is a, it's a jungle primary. So if it's enough, a jungle primary, enough splitting of the votes, man, Huntington Beach, baby, look alive. Let's float your GOP candidate. NATO, um, what do you think? Who do you fuck? Who do you marry? Who do you kill? And right. Who do you sex elect and who do you, who do you overthrow? I... Do I have to do all six? Yeah. No? Maybe. No. You don't, we don't want to talk that long about this. Um, so we don't want that many permutations. Uh, okay. I'm fucking Barbara Lee. Um, and let me... Uh, uh, I'm electing Katie Porter because love the whiteboard, love the, like, the way that she dresses people down, the, the like, the preparation, just all of it. It's so good. I'm into it. Uh, it's my must-see TV better than cosby um so kids on used to be the thursday night cosby show was must nbc must see tv that's what see they i'm it. more in i'm of the like you know tgif like family matters yeah. uh that kind of ilk yeah you're younger than me i'm a little yeah but that's uh, but still old. Okay, so and that means you're overthrowing uh, Schiff. I'm overthrowing Schiff. So the reason that I'm fucking Barbara Lee and not electing her is that A, she's over 70. And I think I agree with Nikki Haley on this. Enough of these fucking old timers. <laughs> uh, like I'm ready to, you know, like the, the, these, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Diane Feinstein and like all of these old ass people, except Tio Bernie, like fighting, the, you know, like these people who don't realize the world that we're living in in the moment in history, and it's time to fucking move on and uh, and get them to fade away. Number two is that Barbara Lee is saying that she wants to only want, run for one term, and if like it's like I would be all in for her if she were in a position to be like in it for the duration, but she's not. Right. She's like. Like, if we're going to have this battle, let's do it and then be done for the next five million years like we were with Diane Feinstein. <laughs> so, um, but, but, but point in Barbara Lee's favor, she's already been in Washington for so long that maybe the any kind of corruption is already sort of like set in, you know, their grooves are there. So you can't, you can't get any, like, look, I'm not saying that she is a corrupt politician. I don't think she is. I did interview her once and she was she was very lovely, but also like, you know, old and been in power for a while, you know, right. just and, and I definitely think not. Look, it's been 
23, 22 years since that vote against the invasion of Afghanistan and forever a G, forever amazing for doing it. But speaking of passing the torch, yeah, you can't elected to the Senate at 76. No, I, I have to agree 100% with this rundown that you're giving. Um, yeah. And that being said, I absolutely think Adam Schiff is going to win because it he is a fundraising mashin. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how the three race, three way race breaks. You know what I mean? The and also the endorsements. Like, but yeah, it'll be it'll it'll all be interesting. Um, you know, I think Katie Porter is probably going to be a better better campaigner um, than Shift. She has she has more 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 fire for that. Uh, Barbara Lee, when you were talking about the the um, what you call it, the Iraq vote, mm -hmm. let us not become the evil that we deplore. Uh, like old and irrelevant like diane feinstein for example <laughs> is one example of that kind of evil yeah hey oh my god well i i guess i guess i think like what sucks about i mean schiff has the trump stuff working in his favor he's gonna probably get a lot of outside state money and in-state money and he is unlike probably unlike lee as well but definitely unlike porter he's gonna accept corporate campaign donations that to me is porter's edge if she can proudly and loudly say i will not accept corporate donations or like corporate PAC money that's a huge edge this state went to bernie can conceive like like porter should win but also this state is trash full of like you know libs who are on next door and call the cops on people who dig through the trash like that like this state wants their shift yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the state not, didn't only go to Bernie in 2020. Bernie won every county. Yeah. Um, the It'll be interesting to see what happens at the California Democratic Convention. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, it, speaking of things that age poorly, the last time DiFi was up for re-election, the California State Democratic Party voted to endorse Kevin DeLeon as against her. He lost. And... Uh, and then if you looked at the voting map in that race, it wasn't like the left voting for Deleon and the center voting for, it was like the Republican counties that because it was an open primary, it was a Dem on Dem primary. Right. Uh, it was the Republicans that voted for, for Deleon. And then Deleon went on to the LA City Council to become a horrible human being yeah. or to be revealed as a horrible human being. So let me just say we were wrong. Uh, but <laughs> there's no incumbent. I w I'll be interested to see if the California Democratic Party can able can get to an endorsement in this race. Yeah, I'm, I if that, if that ha has an effect. That I mean, I think it'll be curious, interesting, and I'm sad that all the money that's going to be spent on this bullshit uh, that could be giving us single payer in the state. Um, Page is telling me that Pelosi did endorse Schiff, but Katie Porter has raised the most money. She did announce earliest but it is significant that she's raised that much money and katie porter is the perfect like she is the per like you can't really i don't know i i guess i don't see a world in saying no to her like you you know um she's young she's effectively a squad member and she, pelosi hasn't like blown the uh you can't talk about israel whistle on her so there you go. Um, I'm sure that's coming. Yeah, sure. It's coming soon. NATO Green, everybody follow NATO Green on Twitter at NATO Green and on Instagram at 
Mr. Nato Green, I believe. That's correct. He's so wonderful. And, Buy and listen to his comedy albums. Or just Venmo me money because <laughs> I need it. <laughs> yes. Uh, one day this show will pay its comic comedic guests. Guys, patreon.com slash situation room. I'm going to talk about BDS in the, in the post. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Nato. Be very well. I'll see you next time, buddy. Um, last time we saw him, we were crushing it live in San Francisco, per huge. Um, and thank you all for joining us for this stream. I can hear my child squeaking in the background. Squeaking is the, she's finding her voice. She's going, it's very cute. Um, Rachel Atwood on our new music says, this music makes me want to go ride my, my bike up a mountain. Hell yeah. I don't ride bikes. Um, Gary Cooper, oh, we're having another green NATO deal today. Indeed. Geeky, geek toy box on Twitch telling me how to change my settings so that it's never ducking and it's always fucking. Um, go to settings, general keyboard. Thank you so much. I will probably forget to do that. Um, let's see. <laughs> Michael Gonzalez about Sydney Powell. Sydney are, looks like they already embalmed her. Yes, she does look embalmed. She really does. It's very upsetting. Um, Kerbango L on YouTube. Tucker's viewers just want to overthrow the government. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that a crime? Oh, my God. You're so woke. Um, Robert Gilbert, thank you so much for that super generous super chat. Says, who's the funniest baby mom on the planet? Me, kind of, maybe. You're very sweet. I really, really appreciate that. Yes, you can send in super chats and super stickers. DC Revit sent in a $5 super sticker. Thank you so much. Harry Herding on Twitch says, she won't become POTUS. This is about Nikki Haley, and she knows that as well. She wants to position herself as the attack dog and be rewarded with a vice POTUS position. In my opinion, that's why she does not attack Trump, even praising him still. Good guess. And uh, her answer was so veep to like, why do you want to be president if you guys watch the show? Like Selena Myers has no idea why she wants to be president. She's like, um, I don't know. Why not? And that was such a why not um, answer. Whovian Scarf Dragon on Twitch says, Nikki Haley's actually chat GPT in a skin bag. Can't believe we haven't done chat GPT content yet. Um, Pow Nobody Now says, getting disability was like fighting a court case to prove I didn't commit a murder. Incredible. See, that's how much we criminalize people for just wanting care. Um, saying that I've had epilepsy my whole life and the jobs I was forced to work could have literally killed me and gave me PTSD. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, that's, yeah. I get so mad. I get so fucking mad. Um, and Camperman 5000, Peasants Revolt Mofo. Indeed, that's right. Talking about that health Maoism. Um, Gary Cooper, none of us as well until all of us as well. That is true. Um, Dank Prol says, as long as there are no health tankies, I'm in. Bro, and or not bro, I feel you. I don't, nobody needs, NATO wasn't really joking about the whole splinter groups. Like, you bring in the communism word and it's all over. Even socialism, it's just like, what is your take on the Trotsky split of the bugger? Shut up. Um, Rachel Atwood, if you piss Matt Iglesias off, you're doing something right. Um, thank you guys so much for all of your chats, for all of your support, and of course for becoming patrons because you get a shout out if you're a patron at $10 or more, which I don't know if we have this week, but we still have the fart song. 
Frank Morning Tree, resubscribing. One month at tier one, subscribe for 14 months, says RAR. And then from last week, Vermont Hippie Dragon, subscribe with Prime, welcome. Lucia She, resubscribe with, or subscribe with Prime, thank you so much, you're amazing. Um, and thank you to, we don't have any big tippers, but if you want to tip the show, TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App, it really goes a long way. And thank you guys so much for being here, let's all dance it out. That's me dancing. Thank you to Paige Omex, Maximilian Inhoff, to Andy Vasoyan, our editor. We stream every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Follow the show on Twitter at FituationPod, TikTok, and Instagram at FrannyFio. And starting in March, I will be streaming on Fridays, guys, for that extra bonus stream. Become a patron to be able to watch it back, to listen to it back. You guys know if you're a patron, you get a special little RSS feed right into your ear holes. And remember, y'all, fight the power. Fuck the patriarchy and don't just bitch about it. Be about it.